Welcome to the Valley Brook Community Church Podcast, and thank you for joining us online today. You're about to hear a sermon from our current series, The Gift. In this three-part Christmas series, we will be highlighting the significance of the gifts the Magi brought to Jesus, gold, frankincense, and myrrh, and we'll explore the symbolism of these gifts for Jesus and for us. To watch any of our previous messages or find all listening platforms, we encourage you to visit www.valleybrook.cc forward slash on demand. Enjoy. Well, it's good to see all of you here in our church today, and we're grateful for those people who are online. You know, as we prepare for the Christmas season, as we look toward the celebration of Christ's birth this week, I imagine that some of you have been watching some of your favorite Christmas movies. I was thinking about my favorite movies. I have two children's movies that are my favorite. I love The Grinch, the original version, the cartoon version, and I love the, the movie Elf. But when it comes to those movies that tell the story, I think my favorite one is the Nativity Story. It was released in in 2006, and it tells the story of the journey of Mary and Joseph from Nazareth all the way to Bethlehem and what they encountered as they went on that journey and eventually Jesus was born. The high point of the movie is when the Magi arrive. And, you know, Mary and Joseph are in the stable and, and, and uh, Jesus has been born. The shepherds have shown up. And now the Magi appear. And they come to the stable. And a- as they are headed that way on their camels, Melchor, one of the three, observes this scene in amazement. And this is what he says. The greatest of kings born in the most humble of places, God in the flesh. And then one by one, the wise men dismount their camels and they approach the baby bowing as they present their gifts. Melchor is the first and he says as he gives his gift, gold to the king of kings. Balthazar is the next wise man and he gives his gift of frankincense and as he does so, he says, frankincense for the priest of priests. And then finally, Gaspar comes up, and with his voice trembling, he presents his gift, and he says, gift, he says, a gift of myrrh to honor the sacrifice. Now, this is the cinematic presentation of Matthew 2, where the wise men arrive. So let me just remind you what that says in the gospel of Matthew. It says, when they saw the star, they were filled with joy. They entered the house and saw the child with his mother, Mary, and they bowed down and worshiped him. And they opened their treasure chests and gave him gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. So this series of messages called The Gift uh, focuses on those gifts that the Magi gave Jesus. And over the past weeks, we've looked at the significance of the gift of frankincense, which symbolically reminds us that Jesus was our high priest. We've looked at the gift of myrrh, which reminds us that Jesus was our suffering servant. He suffered so that we could know God. And today, we're going to look at the gift of gold. Now, throughout history, because of its scarcity and because of its value, gold has always been known as a gift fit for a king. So think about this. You know, in our knowledge and history of monarchs, we recognize that throughout history, there have been different kinds of monarchs. There's been different queens, different kings, and, and each one has brought something to that role. And what we recognize is while we probably have a stereotype in our heads about what a king or a queen is supposed to be like, when we look at history, 
uh, we realize that they don't always fit that stereotype. But, but in our minds, we see a king or a queen. That, that monarch is someone who is strong, who rules with power, and also has compassion for their subjects. We expect that monarch to protect and defend their subjects and that they will do so with both their words and their actions. But for every stereotype, there's always an exception, sometimes more than one exception. Uh, for instance, uh, when we think about kings and queens through history, sometimes a child has been crowned as a king or a queen. Uh, there are also kings and queens who have been absorbed narcissistic monarchs. There have been monarchs who treated their own subjects with horrible brutality. There have been monarchs who were weak leaders, monarchs who were sickly people, monarchs who even gave up, who abdicated their throne and their power and their position. So when you think about that, and then you think about what we're talking about with first century Israel it was no different in that day as the people of Israel waited for their long-awaited stereotypical king in their minds. They were actually anxiously waiting for the coming Messiah, who they would know would be a king from the very line of King David. And they envisioned this king to be a, a mighty military ruler who would liberate them from their enemies and especially from the Roman army and government that was actually occupying Israel at that time. And in their minds, this savior king would ride in on a war horse and restore Israel to its former power and glory. Now, there were tons of prophecies from the Old Testament that foretold about what this coming king would look like, and truthfully, only Jesus could fulfill those prophecies, but not everybody saw that when Jesus arrived, and not everybody responded with joy and happiness. So we're going to look today at three responses to Jesus when he arrived as an infant, but he was also the king of kings. So we're going to go back to the Gospel of Matthew. We're going to go to chapter 2. We're going to read the first three verses just to set the stage. After Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea, during the time of King Herod, Magi from the east came to Jerusalem and asked, where is the one who is born King of the Jews? We saw his star when it rose and have come to worship him. When King Herod heard this, he was disturbed and all of Jerusalem with him. So from those three verses, we learned something about King Herod. He was opposed to Jesus as king. Yes, he was threatened by the news that there was a, a new king. So he immediately went out and he consulted his chief priests and the teachers of the law. And they verified what the Magi was saying because they went and read the Old Testament prophecies. And when he learned that those prophecies said that there would be a king who would be born in the region of the town of Bethlehem, he came up with a plan. He went to the Magi, and in secret, he said to them, go to Bethlehem and go and search carefully for the child. And as soon as you find him, report back to me so that I may go and worship him. Of course, Herod wasn't being honest. He had no plans to go and worship this newborn king. His plan was to send his soldiers in and take out what he saw was his competition. 
His fear and his jealousy of this competing king would eventually turn into a murderous rage because the Magi did not return and they didn't tell him where Jesus was. In fact, the Bible tells us that through divine intervention, the Magi were warned in a dream not to go back to Herod, and so they returned to their country by another route. As a result, the full force of Herod's jealous rage came to bear on that entire region. And this is what we read that happened in the Gospel of Matthew. When Herod realized that he had been outwitted by the Magi, he was furious, and he gave orders to kill all the boys in Bethlehem and its vicinity who were two years old and under, in accordance with the time that he had learned from the Magi. So Herod opposed Jesus with deadly intentions, and he sent his soldiers in to kill all the boys in that region. Now, if you wondered why Jesus was spared, God took care of that. God sent an angel uh, in a dream to Joseph with this message. The message was, get up, take the child and his mother, and escape to Egypt. Stay there until I tell you, for Herod is going to search for the child to kill him. Now, Scripture tells us that Joseph and Mary and the baby stayed there until King Herod died in 4 B.C. Now, Throughout this series of messages, I've said that these gifts that the Magi brought, gold, frankincense, and myrrh, were rather odd gifts for a child. I've also said that these gifts are symbols that tell us something about who Jesus is for us, but there's a very practical part of these gifts too, a practical purpose. Each of these gifts was valuable, and it's possible the gold, the frankincense, and the myrrh were given, and they would help finance Joseph and Mary's trip to Egypt. And their stay there. Since Jesus' birth is believed to happen sometime between 6 and 4 BC, the family would have needed a way to pay for food and lodging until they returned to Nazareth after Herod died. So, going back to King Herod, when it comes to his response, we see he was threatened by Jesus. And so he opposed him, regardless of the facts about Jesus' arrival being prophesied in his own scriptures. He opposed Jesus, and he opposed God. So that's how Herod responded. Let's look at how some others responded. The religious leaders in Jerusalem responded by dismissing Jesus as their king. There is not a lot written about how the religious leaders responded to Jesus' birth, but that very fact tells us a lot about what they thought of him. At that time, there were high priests, and there were regular priests, there were teachers of the law, there were Pharisees, there were members of the ruling council, and none of them seems to have taken the prophecy about Jesus that he fulfilled very seriously at all. In other words, they dismissed Jesus even though the prophecies were speaking about him. And they dismissed Jesus even when those scholars, the Magi, who came from another country, were saying that through their studies, it had revealed that a new king had been born. You know, unfortunately, I think their dismissal of Jesus can be seen as a result of trusting in human systems and human logic. They had become accustomed to a king coming through a human line of succession. So if a newborn king was to come in their minds, it would have to come from the existing reigning king, King Herod. 
the leaders who knew God didn't conform to human ways had actually now restricted their own thinking to seeing that God's actions and ways fit in a human way of thinking. Now think about it. Had they forgotten about all the things that God had done that didn't fit into human ways of thinking? How he had called Moses out of being a shepherd? How he had taken Israel through the Red Sea and saved them from Egypt? How he had made a shepherd boy the king, David? And how this shepherd boy had defeated a Philistine warrior? Had they forgotten how God didn't ever fit into the box of humans' ways and human thinking? Yes, they had. And actually, it's, it's my hope that that's really what was going on. Because otherwise, these religious leaders were complicit in the murder of all of these innocent boys and girls by Herod's army. Now, sadly, I suspect that these leaders dismissed Jesus because ultimately, they didn't want to upset the status quo. Dismissing Jesus was easy and it was convenient. Taking Jesus seriously would have challenged everything that they knew and everything that they did. They didn't want to deal with things that would challenge their comfort and their status. They dismissed Jesus because they knew that if they didn't, it would change their entire lives. You know, this indifference that's characterized by the leaders of Israel is the way we see that they treated Jesus for the rest of his life. They saw him as a nuisance. They saw him as inconvenient, even if they thought there was truth in his message. They saw him as a threat to their comfort and their way of life. And in fact, later on in Jesus' ministry, the high priest would actually say this about Jesus. He said, do you not realize that it's better for you that one man die for the people than the whole nation perish. And in a shocking display of these leaders' disregard for both God and the teaching of Scripture, when Jesus was put on trial and the Roman governor Pilate presented Jesus back to the chief priest and he said to them, behold your king, this is how those leaders replied. They said, we have no king but Caesar. They're talking about the Roman emperor. So keep in mind that in 44 BC, Julius Caesar, the Roman emperor at that time, actually had a statue of himself erected that said that he was a god and he proclaimed he was. And every Roman emperor since then had seen themselves as a god and had the people worship them. So for the Jewish high priest to be saying that they have no other king than Caesar was getting oh so very close to them in breaking some of the most important of the Ten Commandments that says we're not supposed to have any other gods before us. Now why would they react so strongly and, and take such a risk? Because acknowledging that Jesus was their Messiah King would change everything in their lives. They would lose their prestige. They would lose their power. They would lose all of the control. And unfortunately, as leaders, when they dismissed Jesus, they led the people of Israel, most of them, to do the very same thing. 
So Herod opposed this newborn king. The religious leaders dismissed this newborn king. And there was only one group who responded to Jesus the way that they should have. And we're talking about the Magi. The Magi bowed down and worshiped Jesus as their king. Remember what we read earlier on. The Magi entered the house and saw the child, and they bowed down and worshiped him. Now, we also know that another name for the Magi is wise, man, wise men, and as scholars, they certainly were wise in their studies. Through their studies of the constellations and of the heavens, what they saw was that a new king was born to the Jewish people. And they realized that this was not an ordinary king. So apparently, as they studied astronomy, it wasn't normal for the heavens to foretell the birth of every monarch. And so this foretelling was unique. It was special. It was a sign that said that there was something that was happening that was out of the ordinary, and they needed to go see this new king and honor him and worship him. So they did the logical thing. They packed up in their caravan and they traveled to Israel and they went to Jerusalem, which was the capital of Israel. And then they went to the palace where the king lived in Israel, expecting that when they met King Herod, they would see him holding a new baby boy. But when they got there, there wasn't a new baby boy. That was not where the king had been born. Now, this was shocking to them, but it was also very shocking to them because we see in scriptures that this disturbed King Herod and all of Jerusalem. Why? Because this meant that there had been another king born, a, com a, a competitor to the current king. But the Magi weren't discouraged. They went back to doing what they knew what to do. So they, they went out and they followed the star. And they kept following it until it led them to Bethlehem. And on seeing Jesus, unlike all the others, they worshiped Jesus. For they realized that he was more than just another human king. Now, at this point, we can assume that the Magi suspected that Herod what Herod had said that he wanted to do to worship this newborn king was a blatant lie. And they had already noticed how he had become so disturbed when they had heard about the new king that was born. So when God told them not to go back to Herod, the Magi followed God's directions. That act of obedience was also an act of worship. Just take a moment to think about this. Those magi responded to Jesus unlike anyone else. They worshiped him with their words. They worshiped him with their actions when they knelt before him. They worshiped him when they gave resources from their own selves. And now this final act of worship was to follow God's direction through a dream that would possibly put their lives at risk because they would be in danger from Herod's armies but they did it, no matter the cost. That brings us to a place where we have to make a decision. How will we respond to Jesus? In the book of Revelation, we see that Jesus is called the King of kings and the Lord of lords. 
We see that that's how we're supposed to respond. So when Jesus came, he arrived according to God's plan, not human plans, not human wishes. He came to rule and to serve as the almighty king of all kings. He didn't come as a politician. He didn't come as a military general. Jesus didn't come as a king to rule from a castle. Jesus is not and never was a human king. He's the king of heaven. He's the king of the universe. He is the king of the world. He is the king of all those who follow him. Jesus came to be the king of our hearts, to deal with our spiritual state and our relationship with God because he knew that once we got that right with God, we could address all of the other issues in the world and in humanity. So how will you respond to Jesus? Some of you may respond like Herod and you may oppose him. Now, why would you oppose him? Because we all want to be in charge of our lives. We want to be the king or the queen in charge of our world. And we don't want to give that power away to anyone else, not even God. And the person who is like this not only opposes Jesus as king, but also rejects his divinity as the son of God. That person probably doesn't believe in Jesus or follow him. Others of us may respond to Jesus like the religious leaders did. We dismiss him because to acknowledge Jesus as our king of kings and our lord of lords would upset everything in our lives. We would have to dismiss him because his priorities are not the same as our human priorities. We would have to dismiss him because Acknowledging him as our king of kings, as the king of our hearts, would mess with our personal comfort and the way that we want to do things. So hopefully after hearing this message, you want to be like the Magi. You want to worship Jesus from the depths of your being. You want to make him the king of your heart, the king of your lives. And to worship Jesus as your king of kings means to let him be the king of everything, including your hearts. To let Jesus be the king of your heart would reorder your life's priorities. To let Jesus be the king of your hearts will change everything for us, but for the good. Years ago, I read a very short story. It's called My Heart, Christ's Home. And it helped me see what it really means to let Jesus be the king of my heart's so if this message has helped you realize that you've been opposing Jesus or dismissing Jesus and you want to change that, I want to encourage you to make that decision today. And you can do that in a prayer in just a moment. But I want to challenge you. And here's my challenge. I want you to pull out your phones and write down four words, okay? It's actually the title that I just gave you. So just write this down so you will remember it. My heart... Christ's home. My heart, Christ's home. Now, after the service, this is what I want you to do. I want you to pull out your phone again, and I want you to Google that phrase, my heart, Christ's home. Years ago, a pastor, Robert Boyd, uh, wrote this little story called My Heart, Christ's Home. And when you read it, it will help you understand what it means to invite Christ into your life. Let him be the king of your hearts and how he wants to lead you and be the Lord of your lives. So that's my challenge for you. 
Do it today before the day is out. But I also recognize that we need to pray and invite Jesus to be the Lord of our lives and the, the King of our hearts. And maybe some of us for the first time need to tell him we believe in him and want to follow him. And so we're going to move into a time of prayer. And as we pray, I'm also going to ask God to forgive us for not letting him be the King of our hearts and the Lord of our lives. And then I'm going to move into a prayer for anybody who wants to profess their faith in Jesus to do so. So wherever you are, bow your heads and close your eyes. God, we thank you so much that you sent Jesus into this world to be the King of kings and the Lord of lords for all of us. We confess, Lord, that many times we have not let him be the king of our lives. We ourselves have been the king or queen of our lives, being in charge and doing things our way. So forgive us for that and help us restore you to the rightful place in our lives on the throne as our King of kings and our Lord of lords. Now, for those of you who have never told Jesus that you believe in him and want him to be that king, that Lord, I'm going to give you the opportunity right now just to, to pray some phrases back to God. So here's the first phrase. Dear God, I believe in Jesus. I believe that Jesus died to pay for my sins. And I believe that Jesus rose again from the dead. And today I want to follow him and make him the king of my heart and the Lord of my life. And we pray all of these prayers in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to our podcast. It is our sincere hope that it has blessed you. For more information, visit our website at www.valleybrook.cc. 